This is Raider Nation Radio 920. Unnecessary roughness. Unnecessary roughness. I think this, that somewhere within the first five to ten plays of the game, the other team's quarterback must go down. And he must go down hard. It's unnecessary roughness here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Big hole. First down. End zone. Touchdown. Touchdown Raiders. Would you believe it? This is Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio 920. Here's your boy, Q. Now that we actually have some sports on on the TV here in the studio, you can see Stanford is winning right now, and I have to catch up to even see who they're playing here in the regional tournament as they're trying to get to the College World Series, UConn. All right, Stanford's up on UConn, 9-4 to in the top of the 7th. They're working their way to the College World Series. It looks like the Stanford Cardinal will be headed that way. So shout out to EPA, East Palo Alto. Stand up, Stanford. I got some winning on the way, some more winning. We had uh, some tickets that we gave out earlier. I actually got a Father's Day hookup on the way we'll give out before the show's over. Uh, it's called Father's Day Fogo, and there's a restaurant, Fogo de Shone. And I have a $150 dining card. That's what they're calling it. That's when it's fancy. It's not a, it's not a $150 gift card. When it's a Fogo de Shone, that means it's a dining card, Ari. It's a different level. It is a different level. That place is awesome. Is it? Have you ate there? Many years ago. Really? Yeah. What did you what what uh, what did you get there? Uh, They have. (laughs) Actually, I just realized we had it for our first Friday lunch a long time ago too. But they have like steak. I don't remember what I ordered. It was like they're like steak skewers. Oh, like that? That chicken kebab kind of thing. Okay. Okay. Well, I got a hundred fifty dollar gift card for that. It's a dining card. Fogo de Shone. I'm jealous. Nah, yeah, you should be. So we're going to be hooking that up before the show's over, so make sure you stick around for that. Uh, but I got a lot that I want to get to, and I talked earlier in the show about the offensive line, and that was kind of a downer, right? It wasn't very good. The Raiders' offensive line was ranked 29th by Pro Football Focus. This is the time of year where you get lists, you get tiers, you get this, that, and the other, you know, you get rankings, and none of it means a whole lot right now. But it just kind of puts it in perspective of what certain people are thinking. And this, the 33 team, the 33rd team.com, excuse me, uh, they put out some really good stuff. I've been enjoying reading their stuff from, you know, time to time. They had something out about offensive weapons uh, a few weeks ago, and the Raiders ranked really high. Matter of fact, they were in tier one as far as their offensive weapons. I thought that was really good. Uh, This is led by Mike Tannenbaum, the former GM of the New York Jets, and they have others that are, you know, been in the business for a very long time, and they do these rankings. And so it's so funny because I had, I had uh, ranked those. I didn't rank, but I had talked about the rankings on my podcast, and someone sent me this article about the quarterbacks. And the re- and it's so funny because they, they sent me the article on the quarterbacks, and like, oh, look, these guys are still hating on Derek Carr. And so I'm reading it, and I was like, I don't understand where the hate's coming from. What, 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 do, you under- what do you mean the hate? So they have different tiers on this 33rdteam.com, tiering the starting quarterbacks in the NFL. Well, there's seven tiers of quarterbacks. Seven, right? Seven different tiers of quarterbacks. So, you you know, you have the elites, tier one, franchise starting quarterbacks who can and will win you playoff games and potentially the Super Bowl. Obviously, there's probably not a whole lot of those. Tier two, players also are franchise quarterbacks, but on a lesser scale. These are quarterbacks that can win games during the season, but they tend to lack the complete package. Tier three, passers that have potential to play at a high level every week but aren't consistent throughout the season. This could be due to injury or poor performance. 
They're going to win you games in the cluster in a season, but they could also lose some games for you at times of time. Tier four, steady quarterbacks. The team knows what they're getting out of these starters every week and winners. Tier five comes down to these quarterbacks being more boomer bust, all from different stages of their careers. It could be those that are their last stops or they're just beginning. Tier six, players that can win with in the situation if the situation around them is ideal. They need time in the pocket, a strong game plan, weapons in the backfield, and out wide. It's unlikely to see flashes of greatness from these players. And then they have Tier 7. They say is what we could categorize as waiting to see or low-level starters. These players are at time in their career where they must show talent in the cause. They must show the talent that caused them to be drafted in the first or second round. I'll just go ahead and tell you who's in Tier 7. Then, Ari, I'm going to ask you, where do you think they have, what tier they have Derek Carr in? Zach Wilson is in Tier 7. Marcus Mariota is in Tier 7. Mitchell Trubisky, Daniel Jones, Drew Locke, Sam Darnold. Those are all the Tier 7 guys. And if you didn't remember what I said, categorize them as waiting to see it. Low-level starters. Players are at a time in their career where they must show the talent that caused them to be drafted in the first or second round. Zach Wilson, first rounder. Mariota, first rounder. Trubisky, same thing. Daniel Jones, same thing. Drew Locke, what was he, a second rounder or a first rounder? He was a first rounder, huh? I think he was. Sam Darnold, we know, was a first rounder. I don't remember where Drew Locke was, but I know that he's not good. That's what, <laughs> that's what I know. I'm not 100% sure if it was a first or second round pick, but he's, not, he's just not good. Second round? Yeah, 42nd. There you go. Second round pick. Thank you, Ari. Couldn't figure out the TV channel and how to get the TV on, but you, got, you figured out how to use Google. Thank you. Millennial. <laughs> I like he it. You don't know anything. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I like that. I like that. All right. So, Ari, I ask you. Given the criteria that I just said, where do you think, what tier do you think that this article from Mike Tannenbaum, where they placed Derek Carr? Uh, I will say the third tier, which I think is low. Third tier. This is tier three. To me are the passers that have potential to play at a high level every week but are not consistent throughout the season. This can do. This could be due to injury or poor performance. They will win you games in the clutch during the season, but they can also lose games for teams at times as well. At their very best, they are tier two players, but altogether are above average quarterbacks. That would be correct. That's where they have Derek Carr slotted, tier three. They have Derek Carr and Kyler Murray. And you think you think that's a little, a little closer low? to two? I, I get it, and I know there's a lot of angles to it, but yeah, I would. Put them a little closer to two. If well, let me tell you who's in two tier half. two, and we could talk about if this is the same. If, if you think it's the same level, Dak Prescott's in tier two. There was a time, I, I promise you, there was a time where I was very adamant that I would take Dak Prescott over Derek Carr. I don't a really, time. I don't really feel that that way anymore. I, 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 and I have no problem being honest and saying that. When I was in Central Texas, it was so funny. Cowboy fans used to hit me up and be like, "Can we have Derek Carr?" I hate Dak Prescott. Like, they were so angry at Dak, and I was like, I think Dak's pretty good. I would keep Dak. Matter of fact, I would take Dak over Carr. That was me. I would say that. That's not the case anymore. Mm -hmm. Dak has shown a lot of flaws. Unfortunately, he had that terrible injury, but he's shown a lot of flaws. I was falling for what I saw early. Like, whoa, there's some really good flashes here. And it was funny because I was the last one to even get to the Dak party. I was like, ah, He's a fourth-round compensatory pick. Eh, I'm just going to wait and see. And then he won a couple games. Uh, it's really on the heels of Zeke Elliott. Then I'm, eh, you know, so I was the last one to the party. But once I got there, I was like, hey, party on. You know, like, let it rock. And now I'm just kind of like, eh, he's good. He's not great. You don't think he's third-tier great? I don't think he's second-tier great. Well, <laughs> I just don't. For sure, yeah. You know, and, and I think that what I like about Derek Carr is that I haven't seen from Dak – 
is that he will win you games in the clutch. He will come back if he's close. And that's the one thing I've, I've hung my hat on when it comes to D.C. I'm like, man, if that dude is close and he gets the ball late, he's going to most likely win you that game. So I, don't, I wouldn't put Dak in Tier 2. The other quarterbacks that they have there is Deshaun Watson. That's a whole other conversation. They're talking about him on the field, obviously, not in massage parlors. Lamar Jackson, Matt Stafford, and Russell Wilson. And I'll even say about Lamar Jackson. I know he's a former MVP. I still think he's got a lot to prove. Right? I think he's got a lot to prove. He's got to prove he can make that big clutch throw when need be. I wonder about Matt Stafford before the Super Bowl because right. that was the comparison that I always heard. That was uh, what I always said. He's better than Carr. No, he's not. Right. And see, I, I thank you. I'm glad you said that. <clears throat> and we didn't we didn't plan this, but that's I've always said I never thought Matt Stafford was that great. There's been some like Vinny. Vinny has thought that Matt Stafford is great, right? And look, he won the Super Bowl. I understand his point. I just never thought that he was like an elite quarterback. I just I thought he was a guy with a good arm. And good potential, but he was in a bad situation in Detroit. I get that. But Derek Carr was in a bad situation in Oakland. <laughs> I mean, Very. let's make no mistake about it. His rookie year was awful, not because of him, because of the team around him. So, you know, I've always said if you can use that for Matt Stafford and that's okay, then some of that's got to be legit for Derek Carr as well. You can't just give him a, a pass. But to Stafford's credit, he went out there this past year, had a really good team around him, made some big-time throws when need be, and they won the Super Bowl. So you got to give him that credit. So if they put him in tier two, I can't, I can't argue. He's got a Lombardi. He's got a ring, right? He's on a, what, not AT&T commercial now. <laughs> Hooray, you got an AT&T commercial. Let's uh, readdress Russell Wilson in a little bit. Because I'm actually on, my, on the other show on Cofield and Company. Yeah. I actually one day was like, back in the day when there were rumors if their car would get traded. Yeah. It was like, you would take car over Russell Wilson? And I mean, I get that there's an argument on both ends, but I don't know. I, I let's this year like be the litmus right. test. There was a time we'll talking the playoffs. And again, I have no problem saying this. There was a time where I've done podcasts and said, "Hey, if Russell Wilson's available, you go get him." But you know, a lot of the things that he does, including running around, hold on to the rock for a long time, he does on his own. And a lot of that is why he gets hit quite a bit. And obviously, you saw his his play dip. When, uh, when when he was injured last year. Now, I think he's still a very good quarterback. Don't make no mistake about it. And he wins a lot of games, and he could th- make all the throws. But the one thing I can say about Russell Wilson, even as a fan of him, and I was a fan of him coming out of college, I thought he was going to be the best one in that draft. And I think if you go back, he's pretty close to being one of the best ones that came out of his draft. I thought he has winning traits. But he hasn't won the big game since he hasn't had an elite defense. And an outstanding run game. And that's obviously what they're trying to build in Denver. But now he's an, another opponent that the Raiders are going to have to face twice a year. So that was tier two. Pa- tier one, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Aaron Rodgers, Justin Herbert, Tom Brady, Joe Burrow. And I'll say this. I, as you look at me funny, I think they might have put Justin Herbert in there a little early. Because he hasn't shown. He has, again, potential. He has the potential. We know it. He has the traits. But what has he won? Can they, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard for me to slide someone in the number one spot that hasn't actually got it done. Has he been close? Sure. Was that Week 18 game against the Raiders fantastic on his part, what he was able to continue to do? Sure. Was he in the playoffs last year? No. And you're only as good 
as where you are. I mean, I can say Derek Carr's got all the potential, but potential, what does potential mean until you tap into it? Hasn't done it. So I, I have a little bit of an issue putting Justin Herbert there. Josh Allen, I think he's earned that. Tom Brady, no doubt. Joe Burrow was just in the Super Bowl. Aaron Rodgers, Hall of Famer. Justin Herbert, I have a little bit of an issue with. Patrick Mahomes, we know he's been to multiple Super Bowls. He's, he's won a Super Bowl. He's, he's, he's that dude. I don't care what Tyreek Hill says. I was just about to say, shouldn't Tua <laughs> be on that list too? <laughs> yeah, sure. I will say on the field and nowhere else, I do actually think, I hate to say this, I think Deshaun Watson should probably be in the top tier, but then again, you speak about the team that he's with. and Right, well, and then on top of that, Deshaun Watson is a very talented dude, but what has he won? That's true. Well, I mean, we'll what see. Is, you know, what has he won? I just want to hold. I just want everyone to hold everyone to the same standards. Like, hey, Deshaun Watson's a fantastic athlete. He's a hell of a quarterback. But what has he won? He had his best statistical season two seasons ago, and the Texans won what four games? <laughs> four games. Could you imagine all the hell that we'd be hearing if Derek Carr went out there and threw for a bazillion yards and won four games? Be like, yeah, but did you see all the yards he threw for? Oh, man, Raider Nation would be furious. Get that guy out of here. But look at all the yards. He's so, you know, no, it just, that doesn't matter. Now, again, I think Deshaun Watson's a hell of a quarterback. He's won a national championship. You know, he was the mayor there in Houston for a long time, so he wasn't. Now he's in Cleveland, and he's got way more things to worry about than quarterbacks or than, than defensive ends getting after him. He's got everybody getting after him off the field. But. You know, going back to Derek Carr being listed as a tier three guy, that basically says that, you know, they're at best they're a tier two. So basically what they're saying is he's never going to be an elite quarterback. But he's pretty damn good. And I'm sorry, Ari, you can win with a tier two, tier three quarterback. You can win the whole thing. I mean, if you go back and look at the history of the Super Bowl and outside of Tom Brady, who's been there a bazillion times, I mean, look at some of the quarterbacks that have been represented in the Super Bowl. Jimmy G, this is just as of late. Jimmy G. In 2019, Jared Goff, 2018, Nick Foles, 2017, Matt Ryan, 2016, Cam Newton, 2015, Joe Flacco, 2012, Colin Kaepernick, 2012, Kurt Warner, he's a Hall of Famer, sorry, Rex Grossman, Matt Hasselbeck, Donovan McNabb, Jake DeLahomie, Rich Gannon, Brad Johnson, obviously I'm going back to 2002, but you get my point. Outside of Tom Brady, outside of some of the elite, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Kurt Warner, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, I'll put there. Eli, I'll even give, give him props, even though I know a lot of people will be like, Eli, Eli, he's not even, whatever, man. He's got two rings. He made some big time throws when he had to. Eli, he gets it. I don't care what anyone says. It's an argument for another day. Patrick Mahomes, obviously he's there. I mean, hell, look at Joe Burrow. He, I mean, Joe Burrow and Matt Stafford last year. Joe Burrow's good. He's really good. Like, you can see he has the potential to be probably great. But he's still got a lot to do. He's, 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 he's young in the league. He's still got a lot of learning to do. So I didn't mind this. I didn't mind this third tier for Derek Carr. He has him there with Kyler Murray. I think Kyler Murray's really good. I know that the Cardinals fade towards the end of the season every year. That has to do with the coach and the player. The coach fades, and he's always faded. That coach has faded even going back to college. 
He'll start off hot and then all of a sudden just fade towards the end of the season. I don't know what it is with Cliff Kingsbury, but that's just what he does. So I think him being in tier three is okay. I think that's fine. I would be I'm not I'm not concerned with Carr being in tier three as I'm concerned with the Raiders offensive line being 29th. I'll take that tier three over that 29th ranking. You know what I mean? Like, I think that 29th ranking is more of a problem than Carr is. I think Carr ranked at three, three. And like I said, if you want to throw him in there at two, that's fine. I don't think anyone's mistaken him as elite. I don't care what the media tried to make of, uh, and I say media, I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about national media make of Devontae Adams. And I don't know if you can find that in there. I think the soundbite should be in there. Devontae Adams responding to the answer or the question that was asked to him on Thursday about trying to compare and contrast Derek Carr and Aaron Rodgers and everyone from ESPN to Skip and Shannon to this, that, and the other tried to run with it. I don't know what that says, dude. What does that say? Just tell me what it says. It's a long cut. I might not. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, it is a long cut. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. Here. Yeah, this is. Okay. So this is what the media tried to run with when they're saying that Devontae Adams basically said that Derek Carr and, and, and Aaron Rodgers are the same quarterback, which he did not at all. I was there when he was asked the question. One of the first things you'll hear him say is like, that's comparing like apples to oranges. But that's not what the national media picked up on. I even had to defend it and had to argue it on Saturday night when I was doing ESPN national radio. I was like, that's not what happened. That's not what happened. But here's Devontae's Adam, Adam's answer when it came to Derek Carr and Aaron Rodgers. I mean, it's tough to compare. It's, it's really apples and oranges. Derek, I mean, it's just it's just such a different ball game. I mean, obviously you have Aaron who's cemented as, you know, one of the best quarterbacks to ever play the game. And, you know, that's just like comparing me to like Jerry Rice. You know, it'd be tough to do because Jerry's put together what he's done and it's, it's undeniable respect for him. Um, and me, I'm still, I'm still going. And there's still a lot that I got to do to be able to, be mentioned with Jerry and I and I'm aware of that and I think Derek is also aware of that um you know from a big picture but as far as talent and ability I mean it's really similar if you if, if I'm keeping it real Derek's arm strength and and they throw the ball a lot different like Derek is going to fire it in there and you, you're going to know that things coming quick and Aaron's got the ability to just kind of tighten that core up and just flick the ball to you so the the release is a lot different but being able to get the ball to you late, you know, if they see you coming out of a break, not many quarterbacks can get it to you before you get to the sideline, you know, if you're outside the numbers already. But having two guys like that with really strong arms and understand the game and, um, you know, the mental part of it is a, another similarity that they have is they both obsess over it and, and they know everything that's going on out there. A lot of times I've seen Aaron call out a blitz when the safety's, you know, 17 yards off the ball, just, just kind of creeping back there. He said in practice, hey, he's coming. And I'm like, what? And then, sure enough, dude comes flying on the snap from 17 yards down the field. So I've seen that from Aaron. And then I've seen Derek literally give me a check that didn't make any sense to me before in college. Here, same thing. And, you know, we, we scored a touchdown on it. So um, a lot of similarities, but but much different. And I think Derek is in a position where he's he's chasing to, to be one of those all-time greats like that, which is, like I said, um, that's not a slight on Derek whatsoever. I wouldn't be here if I was, if I was slighting Derek. But... Um, I don't think that I'm ready to compare myself to Jerry Rice just yet. We'll see when it's all said and done, um, you know, or after some more time, just to, to be fair um, overall. And, and I think the same is with Derek. We're, you know, we both chasing it and still got a lot in front of us. So there's Devontae Adams. That was last Thursday at Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center. And I promise you, like 25 seconds of that is what most people take and listen to and say, see, he's talking about Devontae, or Aaron Rodgers and Derek Carr, the same quarterback. No, he's not. He didn't say that. 
He did say that he wouldn't be here if Derek wasn't good. I mean, that's basically what he said. You know, hey, if, if I was slighting Derek, I wouldn't be here. But it's just so funny how the narrative, they took a little clip. I had so many people tweeting at me over the weekend. Q, what's up with your boy, man? What's going on with your boy? What's, what's he? Tri-? I had to send the whole clip, including the question, to so many different people. I emailed them. I was like, okay, if you take two minutes and actually listen, you'll understand that what everyone thinks he said is not what he said. But it's a slow time of year. And everybody is looking for a story. But I literally, I promise you, Saturday night, I'm doing ESPN Radio with Tron Davenport, and one of the subjects was, Devontae Adams said what? And I literally had to say, and it's so funny because Tron covers the Titans, and he was like, Q, I understand where you're coming from. I've been in those media sessions where a question is asked, the answer is given, and then someone only picks up on 20 seconds. Hell, Pat McAfee was talking about Devontae Adams, and he said what? Everybody is just running with it. He didn't say that they're the same guy. They're not the same guy. Aaron's obviously elite. He's going to have a gold jacket when he's ready to have a gold jacket. Derek Carr is really good and can win games and has a strong arm. And he's a football junkie where he studies the study the film. I mean, that's, that's what he does. He, he's one of those guys, and that's fine. You can have similarities like that. But if anyone thinks that Devontae Adams was trying to say they're the same dude, sadly mistaken 426 is the time when we come back michael lee from the washington post he's going to join us because game five is tonight baby nba finals warriors and celtics what does michael think is going to happen tonight in san francisco we'll get his thoughts next here on raider nation radio 920 i need you i just need you that goes down in sort of the pantheon of great performances for sure i think that is the perception from everybody. It was funny for us because Doris Burke kind of called it pregame saying that it would require a monster performance from Steph. And he did just that. And I had a chance to talk to him pregame. He's like, you know, I knew the urgency and I needed to set the tone and the tempo for my guys and that's what I set out to do. Broadcasting live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio, here's your boy, Q. Right there, you heard ESPN's Monica McNutt talking about the performance, the monster performance of one Steph Curry on Friday night, dropping in 43 points, pulling down 10 rebounds, and leading the Warriors to victory to even up the series 2-2 in the NBA Finals. Finals. Join us now on the phone lines to talk all things NBA Finals. Game 5 is this evening. It's Michael Lee from the Washington Post. And, Michael, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. Definitely appreciate you. And, first of all, let's go back to Friday night. How big of a performance was that for Steph Curry, and how much was that needed to be able to put the Warriors on his back and uh, even up that series? Well, they had to have it. Um, you know, they couldn't go back home down 3-1. Um, they were in a situation where, you know, the, the, the Celtics have basically been daring Steph to beat him, and so far he's been game, you know, to do it. Um, he, he he just needed just a little bit of help from his teammates offensively, uh, but just defensively they were able to shut down the Celtics and, and just let Steph be the hero. And it, he needed it because um, I think there's a perception about him that's, that's been inaccurate. Uh, it's been unfair for him for his entire postseason, especially finals career, that he's not a big-time performer, which the opposite is actually the case. Um, and I just think it just was there to remind people that, you know, I've been doing this, but I don't think everybody really um, recognized that this guy's been doing this for a long time. Yeah, he really has, and sometimes we don't really appreciate it until we see him on that big stage doing exactly what he did on Friday night. So there's been a lot of questions. How do you think that he bounces back tonight in Game 5 of the Chase Center in a game where I think the Warriors need to have this one too? They absolutely do because if the Celtics win this one, they're going home with a chance to close out at, uh, at a place where you know the fans are going to be really excited about having a chance to win the first championship You know since that uh, Kevin Garnett and uh, – 
Paul Pierce and Ray Allen group. So I think that they don't want to go in that environment. I mean, they, they won game four, but it's a tough task to ask them to go there and do that again. So this is a game that, that they have to have because they're home. And, uh, you know, a lot of people feel like this is a seven-game series. So if they want it to be a seven-game series, it's probably best to get this one tonight. Yeah, I agree 100%. What are you thinking about Jason Tatum? He's put in some good games, but he hasn't had that monster game. And to me, I feel like the trains are on the track, and I can see the light, you know, just it's coming down. It's coming right at you. What do you think, Jason Tatum? You think he's got a, a, a big-time performance in him coming up soon? I think he's got one in him. It's just, is, is he going to let it out? You know, that that's been the question I've been asking because, um, you know, the one thing that I think the game one, it clearly just looked like he was just shell-shocked when he had never been on this stage before and didn't know what to do with himself. And I think that, you know, it happens a lot of times for guys when they get, you know, here and they feel like they have to perform at a certain level and they probably get so much so far into their heads that they, they keep themselves from really performing at the level that they should. Um, he just got to settle down and remind himself that the Celtics wouldn't be here if he wasn't playing at that level, if he wasn't a first-team All-NBA guy. If he wasn't a guy who outplayed Kevin Durant in the first round and a guy who went toe-to-toe with the best player in the game, Giannis Antetokounmpo. So he did so much right, you know, um, to get to here. He has to remind himself that he doesn't have to do anything else, or do anything extra now he's on this stage. Um, one thing I've seen from him that's been frustrating for me just is that he's 6'10 and refuses to dunk. Like, <laughs> he drives in for finger rolls and finesse when, you know, they just need that guy who comes from, you know, that place uh, where they serve black, greasy fried rice. And if you know about St. Louis, <laughs> right. that's what they serve there. So um, he, he, he's, from, he's from the loop, and he, he got to play like it. Right, right now, he, he's not going hard in the paint, you know, um, and, and that, that's what they need from him. And uh, I think once he does, it'll, it'll set a tone for the Celtics and really uplift them because I think they're a the better overall team. They're just waiting for their leader to step up and, and lead them. I love the fact that you you brought that uh, St. Louis reference in. That's great. Play like you're from the Lou, man. Play like you're from the Lou. Put a little something-something in your neck. Again, we're talking with Michael Lee from the Washington Post here on Unnecessary Roughness, Radio Nation Radio 920. What about the Celtics' shot selection down the stretch? They have a lead in game four. They're up about seven or eight points, but they just can't pull away, and they start firing some threes. Like They just fall in love with the three-pointer and don't take it to the rim like you were mentioning with Jason Tatum. How does that, that that shot selection, how does Coach Adoka make them realize that they don't have to settle for threes? Well, the one thing they, they got to do is move the ball. You know, a lot of times they get in love with, you know, having Tatum and, and, uh, and Brown just kind of go one-on-one and do their thing. Um, but really they just got to get the, the Warriors on the move. Um, if you look at the way they defended uh, Brown down the stretch, Clay Thompson just basically just kept him in front of him. He couldn't get by him, and he, you know, blocked off his driving lanes and just sort of forced him to take bad looks. But you don't have to take bad looks if you move the ball and you get open looks. And there are certain guys who they want to shoot the ball. They really want the non-shooters to be the guys to be in those spots. Um, they, if they're going to take them, they got to hit them. And that, that's really the key. Uh, but really, they just got to be, they got to do a little less one-on-one because if they do that, that falls right into how the Warriors want to play them. They got great individual defenders. Um, but when you get those guys on the move, you got to get those guys chasing, then you give yourself a chance. But if you're just asking them to, you know, you know, stay in front of you, they will do that well. Um, but if you actually get them on the move, you you can actually get the shot you want as opposed to the shot they give you. You know, I feel like if the Celtics win this series, uh, there's no doubt about it that Jason Tatum's going to win the, the MVP just because, well, Jason Tatum and everything he's done throughout the course of even the playoffs. And I know that's not what it's supposed to be about, but I feel like that that's where it's going to go. But I would like to argue, Michael, that I think Jalen Brown should probably be the guy. I feel like he's been way sure. more effective and came up clutch when they really needed him. 
Yeah, I mean, that's the one thing. The reason why I picked the Celtics to win the series in the beginning is because, you know, when I look at the stars that the Warriors have, placed, you know, have faced throughout the, series, throughout the postseason, they generally let the star player get off. Um, but there's never been a second, you know, guy who can step up and carry that load. The Celtics have a guy. They have an all-star, you know, that plays alongside Jason Tatum. The weird thing is that they, they've taken Tatum out and sort of made Jalen Brown sort of play the, the role of a star. And I think that's sort of where things are getting a little off kilter. You know, I, that's why I think that Tatum really has to step up for the Celtics to close this thing out. Because, again, they have that advantage that no other team had. You know, Jokic was out there. He didn't have another, you know, second option that really mm-hmm. helped him. Um, you know, John Morant was having some explosive games, you know, those for, before he got hurt. Um, and then, you know, you know, in the, in the conference the finals, Luka was able to do his thing, but he didn't have a, a partner. Jason Tatum's had a partner his entire time in Boston. It's been Jalen Brown, and he's been playing at that high level. Um, they just need to have both of those guys going at the same time, and that hasn't happened yet, but it doesn't mean it won't. Right. No, you're right. You're right. And, and again, those two dudes, man, they can really they can really uh, put some work in together, uh, Jason Tatum and, and Jalen Brown. Looking at the Warriors side of things, Draymond Green is is not been playing the Draymond Green that we're all used to seeing. Uh, he's he's. It seems like this is just really a bad matchup for him. Uh, how do you think uh, Draymond Green, or how do you think Coach Kerr can get Draymond Green uh, kind of going in the right direction? I think he's already done it. You know, one, he's made. He's tried to make sure that they don't have two nine shooters on the floor at the same time. You know, when they have Looney and Draymond Green on the floor, you know, they they basically are daring. Uh, you know, Draymond Green to shoot. He doesn't want to shoot, and he can't shoot, and that's a bad place to be. But if they have four shooters on the floor with Draymond Green, he becomes much more dangerous because he can, you know, be that cutter, you know, that, that you know, dives in the middle of the lane, and then he can, you know, dribble and then kick out to the shooters, or he can take it to the basket because the Celtics aren't concerned about him scoring. Right. So the main thing they got to do is just kind of help him out by putting more shooters on the floor when he's out there on the floor. Because um, he definitely doesn't want to score, but if they have him on the floor with Looney, he has to shoot because that's the guy who the Celtics are going to make shoot. They're going to they're gonna leave him so wide open, and they're going to load up so much on Steph and Clay and everybody else that, you know, it's basically four on five on, on offense. Um, but if they put an Otto Porter out there or, or Jordan Poole or somebody else, another scorer out there on the floor when Draymond's out there, then that helps the Warriors because – Again, Draymond's not ever going to go out there and get get you 20 points. He's just not capable of doing that these days. But if he can cut to the basket, you know, and he can, you know, find shooters or just finish with layups, you know, yeah. I think that they'll, they'll take that. Yeah, no, they will. If he, That's what he's got to do. I mean, if he's going to cut to the hole, he's got to be able to finish layups. And even in the last game, he wasn't even able to do that. How about Klay Thompson? I mean, that that guy, he's 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 going to always shoot. I mean, that's one thing, shoot or shoot. And that's what he's going to do. He hit a big bucket uh, towards the end of game four. And this is a game, as we mentioned, that the Warriors need to, need to get. They can't go back to Boston down 3-2. Uh, last series against Dallas, it was Game Five. Clay, I mean, he went out there instead of being Game Six. Clay, it was Game Five. Clay, uh, could that be in store for tonight? Yeah, I mean, I think you know one thing is uh, you know at this point, Clay is kind of he, as he regains his rhythm and tries to get back to who he once was. He's sort of in that role player spot where you can count on him to show up when he's home, you know, because he's got the comfort of swimming in the, you know, the bay and <laughs> riding his boat, you know, to the game or whatever it is he does. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that that just sort of puts him in a comfortable place, you know, when he wakes up and, and he's had, you know, a couple of days of rest and he can sort of, you know, be, be set to, you know, deliver. Um, I, I just think that 
he's a role player who, who can really step up at home these days. Um, and, I, and he, you know, the thing about him, he's so up and down. You know, he, he hasn't really had, like, consecutive bad games. He's just kind of just been up and down with it. And he wasn't great, but he was good, I think, in game four. I think quietly, you know, he had 18 points, and he really shut down Jalen Brown down the stretch. And I think that's, that's going to do wonders for his confidence, um, you know, in, in game five. I think he's going to have a big game tonight. Yeah, I think that he needs to. I think that uh, game five, Clay, needs to show up. That game six, Clay, needs to be uh, tonight in game five if the Warriors want to get that victory and get up 3-2 in the series. Final question for you. Uh, what is your gut feeling? I know you mentioned that you think the Celtics win this series. You, you gave great reasons why. Uh, what do you think happens tonight? Well, the fact that the Celtics haven't lost back-to-back games this postseason is, is a pretty significant number. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they've proven that they can win on the road this postseason. I think they find more comfort playing at, on, in the road than at home, honestly, because uh, there's, just, there's a freedom there. There's not the pressure of the fans sort of demanding them to perform because, you know, Celtics fans, they, 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 they have high expectations. that They got 17 <laughs> banners for a reason. Right. I think being away from that for a young team actually is relieving for them because they, they know it's us against the world as opposed to having the fans just sort of expecting them to be great. Um, so I think they'll come out, you know, the series, the game will probably play like the way other games go. Uh, you know, competitive first half, Warriors win the, win the third quarter, and Celtics take the fourth. And uh, so I, that's how I have it going. All right. Well, you know, and it's funny, you mentioned that the, the Celtics haven't lost back-to-back games in the playoff run. The Warriors haven't either. I mean, how crazy is that, that both teams are undefeated after losing a, uh, losing a game in the, in the playoff run? But there's a reason why they're here, right? They're the last two teams standing for a reason. Right. That's facts. Absolutely. Well, uh, great stuff, Michael. You got anything coming out on the Washington Post that we need to be on the lookout for? Uh, I'm working on something that's going to take a little longer before for the world season, and uh, I'm excited about what, what we're working on right now. And, and when it comes out, you'll, you'll know it's from me, and you'll, you'll hopefully you all uh, will be impressed by what we've been working on. Well, I'll check I it can't out on what it is, though. Okay, hey, that's what we call in the business as a tease. That's a good tease right yeah, there. I like right. that. On Twitter, at Mr. Michael Lee, and with us here on Unnecessary Roughness. Michael, thank you so much, man. Great stuff. We appreciate you, and we look forward to talking to you down the line and looking for your piece. Hey, anytime. Thank you very much. All right, thank you so much. Michael Lee right there from the Washington Post. He working on something juicy there, Ari. And he ain't working on trying to get the TV on like you were working on earlier or trying not to hang up on ABA Ivan Davis. He's working on something big. I like that, but he's got uh, he's got the Celtics holding holding court like they have, and, and that's the thing about it, man. Going into this series, I was doing a, a radio hit earlier today with my guy CK from Fox Sports up in Fresno, and he asked me about the series, and I said, look, man, if you look at the way everything's gone, Celtics haven't lost back-to-back games. Warriors haven't lost back-to-back games. If that stays status quo, the Warriors are going to – I mean, the Lakers are going to – the Celtics are going to win in seven. I mean, that's just the facts. If that stays the way that it's staying – Celtics win tonight, the Warriors will win game six, and then they'll go back to Golden State, and the Celtics will win the series. So the Warriors, with that championship pedigree, at least with the three big guys, Steph, Draymond, and Clay, have got to find a way to snap that, and they've got to snap that tonight because they, like Michael said, don't want to go back to Boston down 3-2. That raucous crowd will be on fire. They'll be lubed up from, like, the night. The, as soon as it gets 0-0-0 tonight, They'll be lubed up until game six. They, they, I mean, they, man, you think that's a hostile environment when they're sober. I can only imagine if they feel like that they're right there on the cusp of winning another championship. Many thanks to Michael for giving us some great insight there. Uh, again, he's from the Washington Post on Twitter at Mr. Michael Lee. 4.45 is the time. We'll take a quick break. Come back. Close out the show. This is Radio Nation Radio 920. Tick, tick, tap, tick, tick, tap. Tick, tick, tap.
Uh, this is something totally different. Uh, Josh is going to put his own spin on things. Is it a, a few things that, you know, we learned along the way? Because I was there with him a lot of the time. I mean, sure, but we're not trying to be New England. We're not trying to be like New England. We're all we the Las Vegas Raiders, and uh, that's what we're going to play as. Broadcasting live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio, here's your boy, Q. I like that right there. I like that. Brandon Bolden talking about not trying to be the New England Patriots, not trying to be Patriot West, not trying to be New England Vegas, whatever, New England Raiders, whatever you want to call it, not trying to do any of that. Josh McDaniels is putting his own twist on things and making the Las Vegas Raiders his own. That's something that I think is very important for people to understand. I know some people still haven't come around on, oh, there's too much New England representation. Look, man, I'll say this. If these guys, this new regime, this new coaching staff, these players that have been brought in, if they can get this team turned around and be winners, that's all that matters. I don't care if they come from New England. I don't care if they come from the southern tip of Africa. As long as they can get in the end zone, score touchdowns, not kick field goals, and get W's and not L's, that's all that matters. I think Josh McDaniels has a real good opportunity to really put his thumbprint on this team and and, and take them from where they were and credit to them and Rich Basaccia and everyone else that was involved. They still made the playoffs with all the adversity that they had to deal with and overcome a season ago. Still found a way to win 10 games. I think Josh McDaniels could come in, put his thumbprint on it, and really take it to the next level. That's what he has the opportunity to do, and that's what he's expected to do. I've mentioned it many times, including on my podcast today. Three-year window is what they have. Not saying it's going to take them three years to win. I'm saying that that's what they're the way that they're structuring everything. It looks like they're creating, and they have created a window of when they believe their opportunity is. I like that little soundbite from Brandon, and that little that little beat was pretty dope too. I don't even recognize what song that was, but that was a pretty little, pretty deep. That was probably like the only thing you've done good today, Ari. Well, I thank you. It took you. Two hours and 50 minutes before I found one thing Pretty that you good. did well. That's not bad, man. It's not bad for me. No. It takes like a year or so to get, get used to Well, you ain't style. got a year around here, bro. <laughs> now you're stuck with me, though, for at least a couple of weeks. Oh, man, a couple of weeks, huh? That's yeah, a... I just put it. Yeah, I just added a couple. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Ari's That's getting it. comfortable. Ari wants to stick around here Sorry a little bit. Okay. The mom about to be Cofield and company, huh? <laughs> Have fun. Oh, man. Vegas Pete hit us up again on the Sam and Ash text line. I do appreciate you, Vegas Pete, at 69187, keyword R&R. Talk about Derek Carr. Despite playing with bottom five defenses, Derek Carr has more come-from-behind wins and one of seven quarterbacks ever to throw for 31,000 yards and 109 touchdowns before 31. Favre, Peyton, Marino, Rogers, Stafford, Ryan. In ball. I'm trying to see. In ball and two-minute drill, I'd rather have. Okay, I got it. In ball and two-minute drill, I'd rather have Carr than any other quarterback in our division. He gets he has a lot of snake in him. Why do they still bash him? Did he or a Raider fan beat them up and take their lunch money? That's from Vegas Pete. And I understand what you're saying. I, I think that, you know, you 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 can win a lot of games with Derek Carr. Definitely can. That's why when I was going over the tiers and they had him ranked in the third tier and they said basically he could be a, a, a tier two quarterback at any time, I didn't have any problem with that because I think that that's fair. I think that's where he's at. I don't think any of us would call him elite. I mean, if you call him elite, tell me why. You know what I mean? You have to have you have to have more skins on the wall to be elite. Now, with that being said, as soon as I say that in that in that same piece, it had Justin Herbert in there, which I don't agree with that he should be in there. I think he has a lot of talent and he has a lot of the P word, potential. But 
you don't get it done. You don't get to be put in tier one just based off potential, right? Big Dub Raider said, Q, that's a fabulous song. Dope track, too. Go Raiders. F-A-B-O-L-O-U-S. There you go. Nailed it. There it is. There it is. Ari dipping into his hip-hop bag. You could tell that I'm an older hip-hop dude, right? How uh, wh- how how current is that fabulous song? It was like 12, 15 years was old. Was it? Which one was it? Maybe, maybe not quite. It's called Tit for Tat. It's like his second or third album. I remember that. It's okay. going back. Okay, it is going bit. back. Okay, good one. Good call. My bad. Hey, Big Dub Raider, good, good call. And I'm not, uh, Hey, man, sometimes I miss them too. Sometimes I miss them, you know? But I'm going to keep on shooting. Nothing wrong with being old. <laughs> is, is that is that how you end Couldn't the show? Even say it. Is that how you end the show? <laughs> yeah. Coming from the guy who said he was born when in eighty one. Uh, that's not to be disclosed on these airwaves. I think you said you were we born in eighty one. I think you said you were born we, in eighty one. We don't talk about ages. That, that's what I was. You're not a female. You're not show. a female. We don't talk about females. That's ages. how we do it over on ESPN. We're all over fifty. If anyone asks, so. you ain't over fifty. I don't know. Never, <laughs> you'll never know, Q. I know. I go pull your card, homeboy. You don't think a fifty-year-old's rocking some fabulous? Come on. <laughs> well, hell, I'm forty-five, going on forty-six. I know, and I cannot tell. So there you go, black don't crack. I don't really want to you talk know? about <laughs> hey, my age. Hey, around. man, black don't crack. You gonna believe the rumors? Believe them all. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's all good. Stanford's killing UConn right now, ten to five. Oh, it's a final. It's a wrap. All right, UConn's done. They've been killed. <laughs> not only, not only are they killing, but they've been killed. So uh, there you go. That's gonna do it for us on today's show i'm hearing the music but yeah vegas pete thank you for the text big dub raider thank you for the text sir whiskey ray i appreciate you uh aba ivan davis uh well ari apologizes for hanging up on him but really great guests today ed granny chris plank michael lee all joined us on the show today and fargo raider called us and we appreciate that as well we're back tomorrow uh, we'll definitely have John McClain from the Houston Chronicle. He's our normal Tuesday guest. You know he'll join us coming up at 3 p.m. We'll have Mike Renner from Pro Football Focus. He'll join us to talk about those tiers of offensive linemen and talk about how the Raiders can go from 29th and improve where they are on that list and what his concerns are when it comes to the Raiders offensive line. So we'll definitely have those two guys, and uh, we'll work on some more between now and then. And please believe we're going to come back, like always, 2 p.m. Raiders OTAs is done. They're done until uh, until training camp. We'll talk about it tomorrow. This is Red Nation Radio 920.